0: Turning in your Bibles to Mark chapter 10. Read in your hearing this very familiar record. Beginning in verse 46, speaking of the Lord Jesus and his disciples, we read, And they came to Jericho. And as he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great number of people, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the highway side begging. (laughs) And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And many charged him that he should hold his peace. But he cried, the more a great deal. Thou son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. And they called the blind man, saying unto him, Be of good comfort, rise, he calleth thee, and he, casting away his garment, rose and came to Jesus. And Jesus answered and said unto him, what wilt thou that I should do unto thee? The blind man said unto him, Lord, that I might receive my sight. And Jesus said unto him, Go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus in the way. Your hymn book, please. Number 285. at saint stand with me, please. We to sing together. Jesus, refuge of my soul.
1: Jesus, refuge of my soul, lend me to thy bosom While the raging hellos roam, while the tempest still is mine. Hide me, O my Savior, till the storm of life is past. Save me, do the Haven guide, O receive. My soul at last Other refuge have I done Hanged my helpless soul on Thee Leave all, oh, leave me not alone Still support and comfort me. All my trust of Thee is stayed. All my help from Thee I bring. Cover my defense. Head with the shadow of thy wing. Thou, Christ, art all I want, all in all in thee. Raise the fallen, cheer the pain, heal the sick and lead the blind. Sin.
0: I'll endeavor today to move slowly and methodically and pray as we turn back to our passage of Mark 10, that the Holy Spirit would be pleased to make up with His grace what I lack in ability, stamina and voice. Mark chapter 10, and this one verse in particular. And Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. And they called the blind man, saying unto him, Be of good comfort. Rise. Calleth thee. Countless and more excellent treatments of Bartimaeus stock the shelves of church history by this time, as you well know. Many of those sermons among our fathers in faith are so excellent that they completely disarm the drowsy witch of familiarity. Because of the sleepy effects of repetition, the first challenge for a preacher in a passage like ours is to suitably awaken ourselves to its value. And after that, to suitably impress others with the importance of the content at hand. This is a large task. In an effort to do that, with many well-trodden scripture passages, some men will resort to the seductive tools of eloquent speech or the jolting effects of unbridled passion and sensationalism. Others make no effort at all to undo the numbing effects of familiarity in their hearers and give themselves over entirely to dry and careless behavior. Still others choose instead to avoid these very common passages rather than to face what seem to be the only two cumbersome choices at hand, either accept dismissal for choosing worn-out paths or labor extra strenuously to call down power from heaven on the speaker and the hearer. I confess I don't know my own heart well enough To name my part in any of these failings. But this much I can say. I came today with no intent to add to or to detract. From the history of labors in our passage. I come instead with a burden. For some. That are among us. A burden I felt best addressed. This time from a portion of Mark's glorious record of Bartimaeus. And I do beg God to move all of you beyond the sound of my voice, so long as it lasts, or the sight of my person, and into the searching and healing waters of this record, for the eternal good of your souls. In the interest, then, of earnest simplicity, And to set the context for the simple gospel argument that I wish to make today, I would address your attention first, verse 47, to the crying beggar. I have no idea where Bartimaeus was born. I have no idea what he looked like. I have no idea how old he was or why he was blind. But even if I knew these things, what? Difference would it make the purpose of this record? Some of you that hear me now, I know the details of your lives. Some that hear me, I know nothing of. But what difference does that make now, today? A total knowledge of the details of each other's lives might satisfy the busybody, but it is not what we need. What we need is a Savior for our souls. What you need is a Savior for your soul. And so that you might understand how a Savior is gotten, the Bible has given all the information that we need. So we are told Bartimaeus was a blind beggar. And what's more, Bartimaeus was longing for relief. And these then, my dear listener, are why he was crying. Because, you see, people in his life could talk about his problems. They could see the effects of his problems. They might could even rightly diagnose the cause of his problems, but only Bartimaeus could live in his problems. All of his lamentable companions on the roadside that day, his dusty clothes blotched with unseen stains, the pitiless stares of passersby, the jeering of his sighted spectators, these were only the caption to his sad existence. Bartimaeus was the image itself. And he knew it. He felt it. And he cried out daily, instinctively, indiscriminately, pathetically. Of this we can be sure, Bartimaeus was crying out, listen, because he had experienced his helplessness enough to know that crying was the best he could do. Some of you may need real experience with your helplessness. Some of you may lack real experience with your helplessness. Bartimaeus cried for alms that he might eat for clothes that he might cover, for lodging that he might shelter. But in fact, he cried the cries of a heart that aches for deliverance, but it never dares expect it to come. What pathetic cries are these? From a heart that feels its desperation, and it does not dare to hope that it will end. But this is why he was crying. This is why he was crying. But Bartimaeus knew something about using means. He knew the places he might find some help. Learn from him today and see where he was crying. He was crying by the highway side. If you're going to get help, beggar, you'll have to go to where the beggars get help. Bartimaeus had no expectation of receiving everything he hoped for when he sat down by the road that day. It wasn't some fantastic expectation of bounty that compelled him to take his place beside the road any day. He only dared to hope for some little bit of help. But he didn't dare to hope for any help if he didn't dare to go. The golden hinge in the glorious story of the prodigal son is nothing if it's not this. I will arise and go to my father's house. It's true that simply using God's things will not save you. But those he saves are usually saved while they're using his things. And so says old Bishop Ryle, go to the road where Jesus walks. My dear friend, Bartimaeus is saying to you today, don't stop reading the word. Don't stop gathering where Christians gather. Don't stop praying. Don't stop sitting under the preaching of the gospel. Beg where beggars get help. Yes, sir. Every pauper gets alms in the kingdom of Christ. But Bartimaeus felt what the poet knew. Oars alone can ne'er prevail to reach the distant coast. The breath of heaven must swell. The sail or all the toil is lost. Bartimaeus cried out because he was a beggar. He cried out where beggars might be heard. But what he was crying points us up to our real hope. Son of David. Son of David. Have mercy on me. Well said Bartimaeus. Hey. Hey. He can't see. What's going on? What's all the noise? What's the meaning of the crowd? Well. Luke records what they told him. It's Jesus of Nazareth, they said. But Bartimaeus wasted no time in fixing up a simple, earnest plea in simple, earnest words. Words that testified that Jesus had already been where his feet had not yet trod. Hallelujah. He was just Jesus, a man of Nazareth, to the crowd. But to the eye of this blind man, he was the son of David. Now here was a man he had looked for his whole life. Just look and worship at the precious fledgling faith in this poor man. Hear that messianic title. Son of David pierced the clamor of the crowd. Can you see him crying out? Maybe his tears beginning to mingle with the dust in which he sat. Oh, he's sure of Jesus's power to save. And so he's crying out. And you see, he used the word. He used the word for screeching like a raven or even screaming, says Mark, a great deal more. What a moving scene. So full of urgency. And singularity of purpose. Every sinew of his soul stretched to its fullest. To arrest the attention of the only one in whom his heart has ever found reason to hope. Oh sure he's never met Jesus. He's never seen him. He's only ever heard. But what is that to face? Thomas, because thou hast seen me thou hast believed Blessed are they that have not seen and yet and yet and yet have believed. Faith is a yet kind of grace. It sees in the dark. Faith is a searching thing and a finding thing. Praise God, as one old preacher put it. Bartimaeus had been satisfied with hearsay. God for grace. Grace to be satisfied with gospel years. Hey. And so venturing all on what he heard. Just on what he heard. He cries, son of David, have mercy on me. Oh, he's sure of Jesus' power to save but of his willingness to say, he cannot be sure. And this is the pressing question in the mind of Bartimaeus. For he knows he cannot help himself. He had already been made to know grace triumphant in the throne, scorns a rival, reigns alone. Banish every vain pretense built on human excellence. Perish everything in man, but the grace that never can. Oh, I know I cannot, thought part of Bartimaeus, but will this man? Here is the pressing question for you today, unbeliever. Will this man? I'm trying to quickly set the context for us today for a sweet gospel argument. But before I proceed to that, I would be unfaithful were I not to say a word. Verse 48 of the cruel obstructions. Truly, can you believe your ears? Hush up, Bartimaeus. Silence, man. Nobody wants to hear you wailing. Least of all, Jesus. There are more important things than you and your handicaps, you and your pitiful condition. Why don't you just be like all the other beggars and keep to what you know and do it more quietly so as not to disturb our lives. God help us. As if Bartimaeus were not at enough of a disadvantage already, as if his condition weren't fraught with obstacles, Hold your peace, they said. And the Greek shows us it's not a silence of calm agreement they were requiring of him. It's a silence of submission. It's not Bartimaeus that wants to be quiet. It's not Bartimaeus that needs to be quiet. Oh, my soul, right in the face of his great need, in the precious condition of desire, in the very act of reaching, in the danger of missing out, and in the very presence of the help required, they would frustrate his efforts by a colossal, diabolical selfishness and an equally ironic blindness. For all that Barnabas had in urgency, they matched it in absolute lack of mercy. But before we judge them harshly, you do the heavy work of measuring your own life by this hard saying. We have fellow citizens in equally urgent circumstances. We share communities with scores of spiritual beggars and blind. Some of you that hear me today have flesh of your own flesh with whom you share hours of days and days of months but to no benefit for their souls because you can't be bothered with the noise and labor of arranging meetings with Christ. Is it not enough that they have traitorous hearts within? them? Is it not enough that they are under perpetual assaults from our culture to obstruct their view of Christ? Is it not enough that the devil stands at their elbow every day to hang upon their arm should they dare to raise a hand in need? Is it not enough of a pitiful and hopeless condition therein without your own sloth and ignorance, without your selfishness and shallow worldliness virtually screaming at them, stay away from Jesus, stay away from Jesus. God, help us for having ever been a part of the merciless crowd that discourages the blind from meeting Christ. God, help us if we're still there. And may he pity the beggars within our influence who feel our lack of care. Cruel, cruel objections of the crowd that day. But you be encouraged. My hopeful listeners, if you are one that wishes to meet Christ today, I've got good news for you. The prayers of an earnest heart break through anything. Yes, sir. You put your heart with your words and this Christ will put his ear with your prayers, yes. you put your heart with your words, and this Christ put his ears with your prayers. Hallelujah. Bless the Lord. What various hindrances we meet in coming to the mercy seat! Yet, who that knows the work of prayer? wishes could be often there were half the breath you vainly spent to heaven in supplication sent your cheerful song would oftener be hear what the Lord has done Oh, I welcome the glad news reported by Pope. I know you feel forsaken and alone. You hear the lion roar, yet every door is shut but one. And that is mercy's door. Pray, pray, pray. Pray out like Bartimaeus and expect to be heard like Bartimaeus. You just call upon a Savior, my friend, my child. Dear listener, you call upon a Savior. Good old prophecies already aged by centuries announced him before Bartimaeus ever cried, Now look, that beggar's deliverance joins a long train of mercies that's strong to recommend Christ to you. He shall. He shall deliver the needy. Yes sir. When he cried. Yes. Sir. The poor also in him. That hath no helper. He shall spare the poor and needy. And shall save the souls of the needy. So it had been written. And so it is accomplished. 900 years had done nothing to dampen the vigor of that ancient gospel, nor could the swirling dust of Jericho smother the breath of mercy when a blind beggar cried aloud. If you wish to meet with Christ today, just cry out. Yes. Just cry out. And cry a great deal more, if need be. I would come more nearly to my point then, And to encourage you in doing that, I would hasten to our gospel argument. Many sermons might be delivered on the rich features of this stirring record. Many words and hours could be spent to tell of Bartimaeus' calling or his condition, of the beggar's trials or sin's obstructions. But one feature of this grand old story may help the beggars that are listening to me now. Having set something of a context for us, allow me now to reason with you using the logic of this gospel meeting, the compelling and endearing logic of the calling of Savior is so very beautifully and sublimely simple. My dear hesitating, uncertain, and doubtful inquiry, the answer to your doubts is in these simple words calling Savior. Yeah. We've already said that Bartimaeus was sure of Jesus' power to save. He had, after all, called upon the Messiah. But of the Master's willingness to save him, I believe Bartimaeus was not sure. And yet the argument for hope was in the call itself. Not Bartimaeus' call. Jesus' call. Do you see it? The fact that Jesus was there in the flesh at all was an encouragement to believe that his intentions were compassionate. What else could have constrained the God of heaven to do such a thing, except his own love of mercy. To all the observers there outside of Jericho, Here was a rather ordinary moment. A little more than local interest, regional at best. For sure, Bartimaeus saw a little, but Jesus, he had his eye full of glory. A joy that was set before him. What do you suppose that view was like? As he approached the place sovereignly reserved for Bartimaeus, Jesus had already seen his own fate and he was even then hastening along to meet it. I have a baptism to be baptized with and how am I straightened till it be accomplished? Not if it be done, not in case it be done, but till it be done. I just can't rest until they lay me to rest. Here's my point, my trembling beggar. He could think of nothing else but his sacrificial work. Well, then I ask you, could a simple act of mercy for a beggar be a strange idea to the one who pressed toward the greatest act of mercy ever known to man? Does your sickly faith need more evidence? I'll give it to you. If your sickly faith needs more evidence, just you look at verse 32 and tell me who you see first. I give you Christ. Yes. The brave sacrifice. The mercy doer. Just look at Jesus out in front. The Savior. What a noble flame was kindled in his breast when hasting to Jerusalem. He marched before the rest. Goodwill to men and zeal for God. His every thought engrossed. He longs to be baptized with blood. He pants to reach the cross. With all his suffering full in view. And woes to us unknown. Forth to the task his spirit flew. T'was love that urged him on Oh, I just don't know. I just don't know if he's willing to show mercy to me, we say. What a wonder of unbelief we really are. Had he not just said, I came to minister and to give my life a ransom for many. No legions dragged him to the bloody hill where he could prove the truth of that declaration. No shame of searching glares from his disciples embarrassed him up to Jerusalem. No threats or bribes, no traps of social power or heady wealth could be blamed for his determination to be mercy's grandest son. It's just what he wanted to do. It's just what he wanted to do. Oh, don't measure. Don't measure the truth of this good news by the fierceness of your doubt. Yeah. I find it hard to believe as well, but the truth of his arrangement doesn't wobble on the point of my unbelief. 33 long and burdensome years had come down to this, one week away from the garden of blood and sweat, but still his heart was not so pressed As to crowd out pity. His feet stood still in the road. While his purposes of mercy. Marched on. Oh how could a single cry. For help. Rouse the savior of a world. I cannot cipher it. But so it was. Turn your ears now. And listen. He's calling. He's calling the beggar. Oh but. Doubtful sinner, you will say he only called Bartimaeus because Bartimaeus called him first. That shows that Christ might be convinced to help me, but he may just as well care nothing for my predicament. After all, he didn't really go there to see Bartimaeus. He just happened to stop by that day. Is that your thought indeed? I warn you to cast down that God of careless chance that rules your adult brain. Do you think he called you out of boredom or with no thought of the meaning of his words? Are his sayings ever disconnected from his intentions? This parlay with Bartimaeus was no infant idea as if the heart of Jesus was so overcome all of a sudden by the pathetic cries of a beggar that he just couldn't help but add a stop to his itinerary for that day. What fools they are in a deluded attempt to honor God by making him out to be so kind as to leave everything to our decisions, in fact dethrone him with a doctrine that hinges salvation upon the sudden urges of fickle me. Bartimaeus cried so urgently because he didn't know yet what Jesus knew. That this encounter was no accident at all. Jesus halted for a single beggar because Jesus knew this was no accidental encounter. No, no, no. Jesus doesn't deal in accidental things. If ever he made a single accident, he never saved a single sinner. You may keep your Armenian god, my friend. A chance savior is a bastard child of the fickle god of luck, and no king of the nation of yes, redeem. Right. You show me the man that will make the salvation of Bartimaeus to depend upon the beggar's successful call, and I'll show you a blindness that's not in the eyes. No, indeed. A Bible running over with proofs will be enough to demonstrate to you that no accident occurred that day on the road to Jericho. A glorious load of volumes from church history could be offered to teach you of the sovereign workings of God Almighty that must, that surely did occur for Bartimaeus in Bartimaeus before he cried out to meet the Messiah that day. But the sovereign mysterious workings of the Holy Spirit in the heart of a man to prepare him to meet Christ and the sovereign irresistible workings of providence to ensure that he meets that man are not the matter of discussion today. What I would beg you to see, dear sinner, what I would beg you to see, dear sinner, before we part, is this simple thing. The Savior is calling you as well. Yes, sir. Have you not seriously considered what this means? You young people sitting in this building year after year. Have you not seriously considered what this means? Savior, he's calling you. Yes, sir. Will you not seriously consider it now? He's calling you today. You may dance with the devil till the heavens fall if you like and play his enchanting word games. You may trace a mesmerizing circuit on the smooth and gilded horses of incredulity's merry go round to nowhere if you like. You may carry on all your days in your fool's endeavor. To unravel the deep mysteries of sovereign election and divine providence. With hands that have no fingers. And finally, stupidly, miss this plain truth. He's calling you. Yes, sir. Now. Yes, sir. Would Bartimaeus have been healed? if he had refused to come to the call of Christ, held back by fear that he hadn't first determined what Christ's intentions were for him. Would Bartimaeus be in heaven if all he had done was determine Christ's intentions for passing that day? No, no, no! A thousand no's! Bartimaeus didn't hesitate in order to delve into theology or hold back to consider the likelihood of his acceptance given his particular sins or doubts. He simply came when he was called with all of his heart. Could you sit at his feet today? Bartimaeus would tell you what he knows of their precious name. He would tell you of the day he learned his cry was only a response to a quiet call he'd already heard. He would tell you of the Christ he first saw, who first had seen him long ago. Of course, Jesus had said, I came to seek and to save that which was lost and so he did. And so Bartimaeus was found because Christ was seeking him. Jesus' love was never a sleeping love, away with this ridiculous notion of a love of God based on john three sixteen It may as well be asleep. Jesus' love was never a sleeping love, it was a seeking love yes, an acquiring love. We may argue till we faint about the doctrinal points of salvation. We may lose ourselves in the deep mysteries of God's dealings with men to save some and to condemn others. We may run the courses of our wild, unbelieving thoughts till the treads of our souls are worn through. Do I really believe? Well, I'm not sure I actually trust him. I need to hesitate a while longer to determine if I really have gotten the mastery of my own belief. If he came for some, did he come for me? While he saves others, how can I be sure he'll save me? It would appear that others can come, but I'm pretty sure I cannot find a way. Fools' follies and dim when it delays. You quit fretting whether your name is written in the book of life. You leave off the maddening frenzy of preparing yourself to be saved. Don't you see the maze of objections you are lost within is an illusion of your own making. Come away with me instead and look full into the face of this gospel logic now. He's calling you. Yes. He's sir. calling you. What can it mean? What can it mean if he's calling you? I can tell you. I can tell you if you will hear He means for you to come. Yes. He means for you to come. If He's calling you, it is for you to come. Will you not come? But I've done what Bartimaeus did. I have called. But I haven't heard the Savior calling me. Have you not? But He's calling you now. Right? Oh, for sure he didn't call your name. He's done better than that, though. If you won't listen to me, listen to dear old Simeon. It is true, he said, he does not call any of us by name, but the descriptions given of those whom he does invite are far more satisfactory. We might doubt whether there were others with our names, but who can doubt whether he be a lost sinner? Dear listener, these are the very persons he came to seek. Muster every soldier of doubt within the walls of your heart. Fit out your ramparts with the most refined arguments you've ever constructed. Keep the stand you've taken in the courtroom of your soul, and testify, if you dare, that you cannot, or that he is unwilling. Fool's folly and dim-witted delays. I tell you, He's calling you now. And if He's calling you, it is for you to come. This is precious and indestructible gospel logic. Will you bow to it? Will you bow to it? Look how a sweet Savior would help you do it. Watch how he sweetly reasons with you. Verse 49. Be of good comfort. Be of good cheer. It also means be of good courage. You know, Mr. Hendrickson records an astonishing thing for us about the of Jesus. <clears throat> Did you know he tells us that in all the New Testament, Jesus is the only one that uses this expression? Why do we cast such a hard image of such a soft Savior? You say, well, in our text, the members of the crowd use this same expression. So you must be mistaken indeed. But did you notice who sent them? Under Christ's command, they called. And so with his orders of peace, they spoke. You may be assured, even if it is by means of a messenger, Again today, it is Christ that calls you now and says to you, be of good comfort. Be of good courage. Come to me. Cheer up. Lost is not a thing you always have to be. Blind is not a condition you always have to bear. Wonder no longer whether he's Willing to help you. It's what he came for. Healing is his business. This is no ordinary eye doctor. He holds the keys to a universe. Yes. Be of good comfort then. You may pillow your head in his arms. And rest. He will care for you. Have courage. Have courage in coming sinner. Your adversary is overwhelmingly ferocious. It's true. The haters of your life are frightening and exhausting. The treacherous bandit in your own soul is wildly and untiring. But take heart. Pluck up your courage. One has called you who can rid you of them all. Yes. Sir. The laziness of the flesh, the love of comfort, the lust of the world. The fear of scorn, the assaults of Satan, the dread of failure, the garish demon of unbelief. These things will kill your soul. They're insistent and hard things, but you don't have to face them alone. Go with Christ. Go with Christ to face your demons. Go with Christ to bear affliction. Go with Christ to cross the Jordan. Stand with Christ to face your God. He has called you to go with him. Come, come, come. Every soul by sin oppressed. There's mercy with the Lord. And he will surely give you rest. By trusting in his word. Only trust him. Only trust him. Only trust him. Now. Now. Dear listener, Sabbath after Sabbath, in this very place, He has reasoned with you, carefully uncovering your wounds for a helpful view of your need, drawing you with His winning kindness Shaking you with his terrible justice and power. First speaking softly, and then thundering warnings to the unrepentant, as he has done now for weeks. But behold, behold now, he is passing you. Yes. He's passing you. This day. On the short road of your life. How long before he's gone? I cannot say. You cannot say. But he'll not come this way again. So here's my plea to you today. Whatever adversity. Whatever loss, whatever trial, whatever cross. Get up! He's calling you. He's calling you. He's calling. Are you coming? You stand with me, please. Your name number 435. Stay with Mm me.
1: Accepted time, now is the day of grace. Now sinners come without delay and see the Savior's face. Now is the accepted time. Savior calls today tomorrow it may be too late then why should you delay now is accepted time the gospel bid you come And every promise in his word declares there yet is room. Lord, draw reluctant souls and feast them with thy love. Then will the you swiftly fly to bear the news of love.